0: Well, good morning, church. Rise and shine. An extra hour, right? I give permission for you all this afternoon. If you need a nap, please take it. Now, notice I said this afternoon. Not now. Um, right now, I'd like you to grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. If you need a Bible, we I believe we have some in the back. We always get one for you. John chapter 18. As you're turning there, I, I don't know if uh, you've ever... Been told that maybe, you know, you need to fix something, you you need to to change, um, you need to get over it, man. You you just need to let it go. You, have, you ever have everybody tell you that? Like, come on, man, where you at right now? You should be over that by now. You need to move on, and maybe somebody's expressed those kind of phrases or words to you or that kind of attitude, and you're like, you're like, man, you you don't get it. You don't understand. You've not walked in my shoes. You've not been where I have been. And you know, what I say to that is that it'd be true. I have not walked in your shoes. I have not been where you have been. So for me to say, you need to get over it, you need to move on and so forth, that's probably not fair coming from me. But can I give you some good news to all that? There's one who does understand. There's one who has been there. And you might be sitting there saying, Well, you just don't get it. You don't understand. Let me say this. Jesus does. Doesn't that sound like such a trivial answer? It's like a Sunday school answer, right? Who understands what's going on in your life? Jesus? Good answer. You know what? That's the correct answer. It's true. Whether it sounds like a Sunday school, churchy answer, or whether it is the answer to all life's problems, it is true. Jesus understands. He gets it. And as we look back to the night when Jesus was going to be arrested. It was a Passover. He celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples, his final moments with them, his final teaching, his final prayers. He prays, for, he prays for us. He prays for unity of the church. And then he goes to the garden and he agonizes over the suffering that is coming his way. And he said, remove this cup. And if you remember, we talked about last week, the cup of this, basically the poison of sin and, and death. And he drank that so that we would not have to. And he said, not my will, but yours be done. And he's, he knew He would be obedient to the Father, right? And in all that moment that's going on, we're not at the end of the story. There's the next thing that that took place. And we find it in the book of John, chapter 18. And we start in verse 1. So you can read along. It says this, After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples. He entered a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had gone there with his disciples. The leading priests, The Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now, with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the Olive Grove. Now, we'll stop there for a second. We are talking about Jesus. Jesus, who has the greatest power in the whole universe. People... At that time, they'd heard about Moses. They, they, they knew about the Red Sea, part of how God did amazing things and worked through Moses. They knew about Elijah and Elisha and these great prophets and the miracles that they did and how God worked through them. And then you have this Jesus who comes along and now we hear about some miraculous things. He's, he's healing sick. He's casting out demons. He can walk on water. He can take water and turn it to wine. He can take fish and bread, multiply it, feed thousands. It sounds so much like these prophets and He's powerful. He's probably the most powerful person walking the planet right now. That could have been going on in the minds of these these people, right? And here's the thing about Jesus. We don't even have all the story. We we just got what was recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about the, the life of Jesus. But you know what the last, very, very, very last verse in the book of John says? John says this. He said, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. Can you just picture a library, an endless library, book after book after book after book of Jesus. John's like, yeah, the world couldn't hold all the books about the life of Jesus. We just get a small glimpse of the power of him. And so it's like, here comes the most powerful being Onto this earth, what is his mission? To seek and save those who are lost, to save us. So, if you're the enemy of that kind of power, wouldn't you want to stop it before it ever starts? That's what the devil wanted to do. The devil's like, I do not want that Jesus to come here and save this world. It's my world. I want it to be evil. I want it to be dark. I do not need any light coming into this world. And so we know that Satan did all he could to eliminate Jesus. He inspired Herod, King Herod, to kill all the infant boys. Basically, let's wipe out a generation of boys in this one region the devil tried to wipe out Jesus again, tempting him in the wilderness. The devil also worked through religious leaders trying to make them so angry with Jesus that maybe they would kill him. We find these kind of uh, writings in the book of John, chapter 7, verse 30, where it says the leaders tried to arrest him, being Jesus, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. You can find it again in John eight twenty and John 10, 39. More scripture where it talks about These moments. Basically, the religious leaders were filled with hate towards Jesus. And they would do anything to get rid of this Jesus. And multiple times, the religious leaders were just jealous. I mean, they had these angry emotions. They could have taken Jesus into custody. But instead, it basically all built up to this dark moment in the garden. Outside the city. Jesus is going to betray Jesus. I'm sorry, Judas is going to betray Jesus and lead a bunch of men to arrest Jesus. And uh, Judas knew precisely where Jesus would be. Look at John chapter 18, verse 3 again. It says, Judas received a contingent of Roman soldiers of temple guards to accompany him. I want you to understand what this, this, what this evening looked like. We've, we've gotten through the garden and now Jesus is like, wake up guys, they're coming. Who's coming and who brought them? What we see right here is Judas. Judas brings us as a contingent or a band of men. That contingent is basically, if you look in the understanding of the word, it's a, it's a military regiment. It could be anywhere from 300 to 600 soldiers. That's a lot. This wasn't a mob of, of angry uh, citizens with pitchforks and torches, like, let's get this, Jesus. This was a, this was a contingent, it was an army. And they came also, it says, basically with um, the temple guards or officers. You want to look at them as possibly being like security guards at the temple. They worked for the religious leaders. If there's something needed to be put into place, they put it into place, follow through with that. They would follow through with it. But they had obviously a lot more authority. And they were not as well trained as a soldier, but they're pretty close. Knowing the numbers of men that arrived to arrest Jesus, can you picture what that hillside and that garden looked like? I've never seen a picture before of anything like it. Usually we see like the garden and some soldiers and they're all sort of standing around in one spot, but it's like three to 600. We're talking hundreds of soldiers, these temple guards surrounding this, this hillside. The other writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they use words such as, multitude enormous massive crowd why why so many people i mean what did judas say to the religious leaders to cause them to think we need an army what did what did judas tell them about jesus i mean was it possible that these religious leaders were just they're just nervous we've heard about some of the things that jesus did so hmm maybe we should amp up our military we don't know. Let me ask you this. What do you know about Jesus? If you were to sit down with somebody or you get in an elevator with somebody or, or whatever it might be, they're like, oh, I see you're wearing a cross necklace. Oh, I see you're wearing a Jesus shirt. Oh, I see you're carrying a Bible. What do you believe about Jesus? What's your answer? How long do you sit down there and talk to them about Jesus? What do you tell them about Jesus? I know this. The devil knows that Jesus is dangerous. The devil knows that Jesus Christ is powerful. And I believe he will do all he can to convince mankind that Jesus is dangerous in a negative way. I believe he will distort and twist truth to make mankind think things that are false about Jesus. To make him be more of a negative dangerous, if you understand what I mean by that. The phrase. Think about this. The phrase is actually truth. Paul says it over. Christ in me, as a follower of Jesus Christ. If you've confessed with your mouth, you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. You have Christ in you. If the devil looks at Jesus and says, "That's the enemy. He's dangerous." What do you think he says about you? If Christ is in you, are you not dangerous? We should be, in the sense of uh, very being very intimidating towards the devil. If Christ resides in us as Christians, we should live in such a way that the devil steps back and says, ooh, those Christians, man, they got Christ in them. And I know what Jesus is like, right? If I could say this to you, church, in those moments when you feel like you're being attacked, remember that Christ resides in you. Stand strong. Stand strong. Don't allow the enemy to to, uh, have this edge in your life by you throwing yourself a pity party. What I mean by that is this, when Jesus sees all this massive army coming at him, Jesus very well could have said, oh, man, I'm going to be arrested. Oh, poor me. Why are they coming after me? I don't deserve this. Because sometimes that's what we as Christians do. We feel a spiritual attack and we sort of curl up and like, I don't understand why this has to happen in my life. It's like, stand strong, Christian. You have Christ in you. So we see this huge number come to apprehend Jesus. Again, what's going on in the mind of these soldiers? Do you think as these soldiers are marching up, they're like, there's hundreds of us. We've got swords, we've got shields, and there's hundreds of us, and who are we going to arrest? One guy? Judas said there might be 11 others, so are 12? We've got way too many people here. Or were they saying... Remember what Judas said. Remember, remember what he could do. I heard he once turned somebody into a chicken. I heard, I heard, I heard that he can just separate our bodies in half. I'm making this up, right? Okay, but what were they talking about? What was going on in their minds? What caused them to think they had to come in such a, a way that it's like to get this Jesus? What kind of threat did Jesus pose? It's as if Jesus was misunderstood. Oh, misunderstood. Have you you ever been misunderstood? Have you ever had an experience where somebody has a wrong perception of you? You wonder like, how could anybody ever think that about me? I'm not that way. Or I never said that. Or I never did that. But yet you have people possibly talking about you, saying, oh, they did that. Oh, they're that kind of person. Oh, they act that kind of way. And you're on the receiving end of that, saying, that's not me. I never did it. Why do people think that about me? Been there? Ever happened to you? It's like somebody says something that's something that was possibly true but mostly false, but they say it to one person then it spreads to another and it spreads to another and this gossip thing. You know, one day you always played the telephone game. You may have played that where you say something to the next person, and they say it to the next person, and it goes back around and it's sort of fun to say, What did it get it all the way around and said it correctly? And we always know by the time it gets back around to the person that it started it, it's completely messed up, right? And it doesn't just happen today by phone or by conversation. It's on social media, right? Somebody posts something, they say something, because so you know, man, that really spreads. And it isn't now just local. It becomes regional and global how you are misunderstood. Like some of you, I've, I've been the recipient of rumors. Oh, Rex said this. I can't tell you how many times somebody said something after church, like, you know, what, last Sunday when you said that, I'm going, I never said that. <laughs> Where did you get that? And it's like, oh, it's like if you've told anybody else I've said that, you probably should correct it because I would never say that. Just this past week, I got a, a message, somebody saying, "Hey, um, we heard you're doing this this wedding, and, and um, just wanted to talk to you about it real quick." And so I called that person. We talked, and it was like there was a misunderstanding. I'm I'm not officiating the wedding. I wasn't even invited to the wedding, but this person thought I was officiating, and it's like, how does that happen? How does it happen when people say something and it just moves around. And it gets frustrating, especially when somebody says something about you that's not true, right? Church, we got to guard our lips and guard our mouths against gossip. When somebody shares something with you and you didn't ask them to share it, but they share it with you, like, oh, first of all, you know, let it stop right there. Let it stop right there. Don't pass it on. It hurts when, when we when we when we spread rumors, tell lies, Proverbs, uh, one of my favorite ones, Proverbs twenty five eighteen up on the screen says, Telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an axe, wounding them with a sword, or shooting them with a sharp arrow. Wow, okay. You ever been hit with an axe, been shot with an arrow before? I, I don't want to be, okay? And, and, and when we tell lies about other people, it hurts more than that. I don't know what stories were being said about Jesus, but they must have been wild. They must have been crazy. Because you see how many people showed up to arrest Jesus? You, when you understand the, the kind of person that Jesus was and the love he showed and how he helped people, why do you need 600 people there to arrest him, fully armed? When they arrived that night, they probably arrived on the basis of maybe some of these false stories. What history tells us is that Passover, it was was probably a full moon on that night. So you've all been outside on the full moon. It's like, I don't even need a flashlight for this. I can walk out my backyard and see everything, right? So that would have been sort of the situation. But look how they came in. It says in Scripture that they came with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons. They arrived at the Olive Grove. Now, the torches that they brought were long burning lamps. These things would be like an oil-based lamp that would just last forever. So when they came in, they're thinking, let's bring something because we might be here a long time tonight. And then the other word that was used here uh, is lantern, which comes from the the Greek, which means a very bright, shining light. It's like a lampstand you put out so you can see everything in the room. So it's like an equivalent to our flashlight. So when they came, even though it was already a full moon, they came like, let's make sure we're out here for the full evening, Looking everywhere because he might try to escape. He might try to run. He might try to hide in a cave or some place. We are out here for the long haul to find this criminal, right? That's what they're thinking. John 18.3 also says they brought weapons. Again, the Greek word here is a full weaponry. It's the Roman soldier that was prepared for war. He had his belt, breastplate, the spikes, the oblong shield, the brass helmet, the sword, the lance. He had everything. These soldiers were ready for a huge fight, some kind of confrontation with their lanterns, with their swords, with their shields. They're out for blood. This wasn't one of those, eh, there's a ruckus out on whatever street, let's go settle down. No, they're like, this guy's dangerous. Let's get him. Mark chapter 14, verse 43, it says this. It says that Judas was one of the 12 disciples. He arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. So this, in the book of Mark, he further describes what the soldiers were bringing with them. The, swords was, the type of sword was used for attacking and stabbing at close range. Again, they were expecting a skirmish of some sort. And it says they brought clubs with them, which was a heavy wooden, you know, like a mini baseball bat, a heavy wooden stick that was going to be used to knock somebody out with. So when you look at the weapons that Mark talks about, that John talks about, again, you're sitting there thinking that these, these soldiers, they were militarily ready to be engaged in something. But as we all know, we look at the Scripture, Jesus willfully went with them. He didn't put up a fight. They didn't try to hide. So, so how could these religious leaders think something so badly of Jesus? Remember all the times maybe you had a false perception of somebody else? Let's let's turn the table here, okay? Not so much people misunderstanding you, but have you ever misunderstood somebody? Did you ever say something about somebody that wasn't true? You looked at them and you saw only part of the story, so you made an assumption, so you spread off part of that story off to this person over here that wasn't even really true, but you had the wrong perception of the whole situation. I mean, it's happened to us where we've been on the receiving end, but have we been on the giving end? And when you discover that, you know, oh boy, I was wrong. Or again, the other way, they were wrong about you. It happens, doesn't it? Jesus didn't say to those when they, when they got there, Jesus was like, how dare you guys come at me uh, armed as you? What did you think about me? You guys have such a wrong perception about me. Why are you guys thinking this about me? Did Jesus do that? He didn't say anything, did he? As they came, Jesus didn't say any of that. And and what seems so wrong, this moment gets worse, okay? Well, we got the soldiers, right? We got the temple guards. We got weapons, we got clubs, we got swords. I mean, how can this get any worse? Here's how it gets worse Judas. It was Judas. Was it Judas who had this false perception of who Jesus was? What was, do, you think, do you think Jesus was stunned or frustrated at Judas? Like, Judas, didn't you know me? We'd been together for three years. You are our treasurer. You held the money bag. So at times you would come and talk to me about, hey, Jesus, we've got this much uh, finances right now, and this is where we stand, and we can probably go buy this much bread right now. And We had a relationship, Judas. We laughed together. We walked together. You We did ministry together. Did he not see all those years of love and kindness of Jesus? What caused Judas to say such, obviously, things that would cause everybody else to have this misconception, misunderstanding of Jesus? What happens when somebody close to you betrays you? You ever been stabbed in the back by a true friend? Ever happened to anybody here? You spent time with them, you shared your secret thoughts, you shared things from the inside, and, and you, stuff that you've held in confidence, you thought they would hold in confidence between the two of you, and then they go and share it with somebody else. And then maybe they even used it against you. And, and maybe in that moment it wasn't purposely, maybe it was an accident on their part. But this moment, this was no accident. This was deliberate. Jesus, Judas met with the religious leaders. Judas negotiated with the religious leaders. He was like, I want 40 pieces. We'll give you 20. I want 35. We'll give you 25. How about 30? 30 is 30 pieces of silver. Okay, good. Listen, guys, I hang out with him all the time. I know exactly where he's going to go tonight. He negotiated. He, this was very deliberate for what Judas did. And the soldiers and the temple police Maybe they'd never seen Jesus before. Maybe they weren't sure who, who Jesus, what he looked like. They've heard stories maybe. Obviously, they came ready with weapons, so they heard the wrong things about Jesus, but maybe they didn't know what Jesus looked like. So how will we know who this Jesus is? Judas says, I'll give him a kiss. Mark 14.44 calls this special signal. It's a token, which is basically a signal that was prepared, previously agreed upon. Makes it very clear that Judas is like, um, I'm going to show you something here and you'll, you'll figure it out. I'll give him a kiss. Now, how distorted is that? Think about this. What has he been telling the religious leaders? What has he been telling them that they need an army of 600 to come at him? Oh, but yet he's so dangerous, but yet I can get right up next to him and I'll give him a kiss on the cheek. See, when, when we are deceived, When we have issues going on in our minds um, where deception is so powerful, it twists truth. We misunderstand, we misrepresent, we misjudge. We don't even understand why we're doing the things we do. That's what lies can do to us. That's what deception can do to us. Different mixed signals. You think about what Judas was doing here. Judas was very confused, I, I believe. He said, you'll know which one to rest when I greet him with a kiss. And you can take him under guard. And Again, giving this kind of kiss, that's a powerful symbol to anybody who sees it because strangers don't come up and give each other a kiss. Those who are close to one another, those who have a special... As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 16 told the church, hey, greet each other with a holy kiss. In other words, you know, obviously we don't do that today, right? Um, but what we do is when we see people, the brothers or sisters in Christ, it's like there's this, man, it's so good to see you. Whether it's a hug, a handshake, whatever it might be, there's, there's that welcoming thing. Biblically, back in this time, you greet somebody with a kiss, there was a special close covenant there, a commitment there. They were were not strangers. So betraying Jesus with a a kiss was about as low as a person could go. It's like saying, hey, we've been friends forever. Come here, let me put my arm around you. Oh, man, I love you. Could you just turn around and give me your back? Because I want to put my knife right in. That's about as low as you can go. And that's what Judas did. I don't know if you've ever experienced betrayal from somebody. A friend, associate, and you thought they were your true friend, but you find out later they weren't. And it hurts, doesn't it? You ever wonder, how could this person behave this way in our relationship after so many years? I don't get it. I don't understand. Maybe you've been burned by someone you trusted. You allow somebody to get in close to your relationship and then they hurt you. Can, can I just say this again? If that's happened to you, I'm sorry that's happened to you. But Jesus understands. You hear me? Jesus understands. He knows what you've gone through. He knows what maybe you're going through. Jesus always knew that Judas would be the betrayer. Nevertheless, Jesus still loved Judas. Isn't that amazing? Working closely with him, sharing communion with him, washing his feet. Do you ever think that when Jesus was washing the feet of Judas, he's like, these feet are about ready to go out and hit the streets and run off to get my betray- the betrayers that are going to arrest me. Love you, Judas. Isn't our Savior Amazing. You may ask, well, why did Jesus extend so much of himself to someone he knew would be so disloyal? Well, let's answer that question by maybe asking a few questions. And like this, have you ever been disloyal or faithful to Jesus? Unfaithful to Jesus? You ever been disobedient to what God's asked you to do? We're we're just like Judas at times. Maybe not so deliberate. There have been times we have gone against what God asked and we've, we've betrayed our faith. Not purposely, but maybe unintentionally. So what kind of grace do you want shown to you? I believe we would have to all answer that. I would have to answer, yeah, I've done that. And Jesus says, I know you've done that. And I love you and I forgive you for that. That's good to know that we have that kind of Savior, right? I would say for some of us in this moment, God has forgiven us. In this moment, Jesus is going to forgive Judas. Judas. And for us to betray, to be betrayed, to be misjudged, to be misunderstood, it's hard for us to be forgiving to people, isn't it? I want to encourage you to try to forgive. We're commanded to forgive others, and that is hard. It's like, well, just forgive and forget. Here's the thing. We need to forgive. The forgetting part, I don't think you're probably going to forget it. It's like a scar. i got plenty of scars on my body. When I look at them, it's like, I remember that surgery. I remember that surgery. I remember that surgery. It hurt. It doesn't hurt anymore. I'm healed. But the scar there reminds me of when I had that pain. As a matter of fact, when other people come into my life that have had similar pains, I now know how to speak comfort into their life. Because of the pain I've gone through, I can now be of assistance to them. That's how the Spirit works. Some of us are at the very beginning of the stage of, I'm trying to forgive them, and some are like, I have forgiven them. But it's a process. It's a journey for many of you. And it may take a while, but our Savior shows us how to forgive others, even those who misunderstand, those who misjudge, those who betray. The soldiers, the guards approach. Judas gives Jesus a kiss. And then what happens next? Anger, violence, a fight. No. But Jesus does remind him he is still powerful, right? This is probably one of my favorite stories. This would be one of, the, one of those moments where we get to heaven. And I don't know if there's going to be a jumbotron. I don't. But if there was a jumbotron in heaven, this is one of those moments. Say, God, can you show me that moment in the garden? When they went to arrest Jesus, remember that next part in John chapter 18? He's like, guy's like, Rex, I already know what you're thinking. Yes, check it out. I want to see it. Because some of us get really stiff when we read the Bible. I mean, let's read this, and then I'll explain a little bit more. John chapter 18, starting verse 4. Jesus fully realized that all was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for, he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he. Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. And as Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more, he asked them, who are you looking for? And again, they replied, Jesus the Nazarene. I I told you that I am he, Jesus said. Now, I love this story because the Roman soldiers, please they come in, they're preparing to meet Jesus. They're ready to arrest him. And then his supernatural power, boom, is just unleashed on all of them it literally knocked them all down to the ground. It's like a bomb had been detonated and this explosive strength was released and knocked all the soldiers flat on their backs. And Jesus said, I'm he. And these mighty Greek words, if you translate these Greek words, they actually go back to Old Testament. Remember when Moses was with, uh, in the burning bush and God's saying, you need to go to Pharaoh. And he, well, who am I supposed to say send me? And he goes, tell them I am name of God. When Jesus says, I am he, translation goes back to Old Testament, I am. When he said, I am, boom, it's like the power of God was released from Jesus and they all fell down. When you look at the scripture, when it says the soldiers and the temple police, they staggered and stumbled backwards, like a force him, that word fell in Greek, that word means like a corpse, like so they just fell dead, like they were dead and their body just goes, there, there wasn't like, oh, oh, well, I'm a little faint. It was boom. They just hit the ground. So you can picture that again. I say sometimes we 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 put ourselves in this reading the Bible, and it's like we we get into that mode of, and then Jesus cometh forth and saith unto themeth, and they all asketh the questioneth of, right? And it's like, okay, put yourself there. All these soldiers, they remember they're all they're all fired up. They're all geared up. They got all these these armor on. They're like. They come walking up, like, she's like, Who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus the Nazarene. She's like, I am He. Boom, they all go down. They're on the ground, they're picking themselves up off the ground. They're like, What just happened? Dude, your hair's messed up. I mean, seriously, you're, pick up your helmet. I mean, we are, we're a mess. What, what just happened? And they look, and she's like, Who are you looking for? And like, I'm not going to ask him. You ask him. Did you see what happened last time we asked him? I'm not going to ask him. <clears throat> We're looking. <clears throat> We're looking. <clears throat> We're looking for Jesus of Nazarene. I am he. That's somewhat maybe how it happened. Again, I'm looking for the jumbotron in heaven. I want to know how it went down. Because we have to look at the scripture and say, this happened. These soldiers are like, oh, who? What does it take for 600 soldiers to be knocked on their can? Dead like a, like a corpse. All Jesus said was, I am. That's all it took. So powerful. And in that moment, then it's like, if you read on, Peter then pulls out a sword, yeah, about time, let's fight. And Jesus, like, put the sword away. Ah, oh. got one here. She's like, serious? Heals the ear, right? And then once the disciples realized, we're not going to fight, they all ran. They left Jesus by himself, alone, abandoned. Betrayed, misunderstood, completely alone in that garden. He knows how you feel. I believe all of us in this room, emotionally and relationally, we know when somebody has betrayed us. We know when somebody has hurt us. We know when somebody has left us. We've, we've felt abandoned. Many of us have felt that, right? I believe we're sometimes too quick to judge people. And we, we, we look at people and we say, oh, you think this way. Politically, it's gone overboard. What if Jesus treated the disciples the way we do? No second chances for them. Oh, they abandoned me? Not coming back for any of you. Even though Jesus was abandoned, Jesus was misunderstood, he was misjudged, he still loved them. He still embraced them. Ephesians 4.32, and I'll close with this. Dave, if you can come forward, please. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, Forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Be ye kind to one another. Forgive one another as God has forgiven you through Jesus Christ. The church, it starts with us forgiving one another. Maybe we've misjudged somebody within our own body. Maybe we've misunderstood. Maybe we've been betrayed. Maybe we've been abandoned. Maybe we just need to forgive. Jesus had the choice to obey God's plan or do his own thing. And if you remember in the garden, he said, not my will, but yours be done. And that means even being misunderstood. I'll be misunderstood. I'll be misjudged. I will be abandoned because I'm doing it for all of you. He did that for us. He understands. He gets it. We're going to close this morning uh, with taking communion. We're going to remember what Jesus did in the upper room with His disciples at the Passover. We're going to remember that he took the cup of suffering, death, sin, which he said, if at all possible, remove this cup. Why? Because it was the wrath and judgment of God. But he said, but not my will be done, but yours. And he drank that cup. He took our sin, our judgment, our wrath that was coming from God. He drank and he replaced that cup with a new covenant. His love, it says, I forgive you. Maybe we're the betrayers. Maybe we're the ones who misjudge others. Maybe we're the gossip spreaders. If we are, we need to seek forgiveness. Maybe we're the ones that have been hurt. Maybe we've been misjudged. Maybe we've been abandoned. Maybe we've been misunderstood. If so, God says, I know how you feel. My son was there. Remembering when we take the cup, when we take the bread, we're gonna remember what Jesus did for us and we're going to remember what he wants us to do for him. And we're going to remember this until the day he returns. So as a church this morning, we know this communion is observed by those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. If you're in this morning, you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the table. It doesn't matter if you're from a different denomination. It doesn't matter if this is your first Sunday here. If you've confessed with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, we welcome you to observe communion with us. This morning, we're going to do it a little bit differently. I believe it's important for us to move forward towards God. Sometimes we have the elders serve you where you're seated. And just as Jesus did, sometimes I ask you to move forward. Today, I'm asking you to move forward in forgiveness. There are some of us in here that maybe need to take an action of spiritualness. We need to get out of our seats and we need to go meet with people. We need to go tell people, I'm sorry. Maybe there's something else going on where we need to seek forgiveness. And it, it takes us to take that first step. So today, just as a reminder, we're going to take the first step and come into the table to the one who's forgiven us. So as we're singing this next song, we'll, we'll all stand. Matter of fact, could you stand with me now? During this next song, I'm going to ask you, there's two tables in the back of the room. There's three tables at the front of the room. During the song, would you please come forward if you're taking communion, take a cup, take a piece of the bread, go back to your seat, and wait. Listen very carefully to these instructions, because a lot of you, you're used to going ahead and taking it. Go back to your seat with the bread and with the cup, and just wait. When we finish singing a song, I'm going to come back up on stage. I'm going to read some scripture, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll take the bread together. And then I'm going to read some more scripture, and then we'll take the cup together. And then we'll close out our service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we remember what you did for us, we say thank you. Thank you for what you did in the garden. Thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you for what you did throughout your whole life leading up to those moments. I don't know why your son Jesus was misunderstood and misjudged and abandoned, but I know that he fully understands what we have gone through. And God, forgive us if we were the ones that have caused pain in the lives of other people, even in this church. If we have misjudged somebody, if we've said something we shouldn't have said, if we've hurt somebody or we're doing things that we just know aren't right, God, forgive us of these sins. Cleanse us from these sins. And if it's happened to us and we're still trying to heal from the pain, thank you for your healing power. Thank you that you showed us In Scripture, that you too were misunderstood and misjudged and abandoned. Heavenly Father, as we now take communion, as we take the cup and take the bread, help us to remember what you did for us. Thy name we pray. Amen.